What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and welcome to 305 Culture, a podcast where you'll feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of 305 Culture. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Knock a Few Buck, Daily Thunder, Spanning the Spurs, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Drive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A R. Y-S-E.com. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Well, I should have changed up the intro because we're not going to be talking so much about Heat basketball. We're going to be talking more about the offseason since, you know, the Heat are no longer playing basketball. So... With all that being said, before we start, Kenneth, how you doing, buddy? I can't complain, man. I'm here. Uh, no more heat basketball, so that's a little down. But at the end of the day, I'm here. Yeah, I guess that's we can't complain, you know. Right. right. Where we it could be worse. <laughs> a lot worse. I mean, it's not good, but it could be worse. Yeah. Well, speaking of, we're going to talk about Pat Riley's press conference that he had earlier in the past week where he where he talked about a number of topics that were that I found myself and my co-host found increasingly interesting. Let's start with the Tyler Hero piece. First, I want to congratulate Tyler Hero who said said to become a dad. Uh, I think I I best wishes to him and his partner um, bringing a ch- uh, bringing a child to the world. Blessings, and I hope that everything turns out well for them. Now, to the Pat Riley quote on Tyler Hero, I quote, He's a core player. That's all there is to it. He'll figure it out. We'll figure it out with him. But what happened to him going down the stretch actually thought he got better as a player. If you think about his first year or his first 35 or 40 games, he really was strictly a catch-and-shoot type of player coming off screens and catching and shooting. And the only way that he was ever going to become more of a complete offensive player is he had to improve his ball handling with both his right and his left hand. He's an exceptional ball handler, and now he can create space and get into gaps and race on jumpers from almost everywhere. Now, Kenneth, I want to hear your thoughts on this one. What do you what do you see on this quote from the godfather himself, Pat Riley? I mean, to be completely honest with you, I don't disagree with any of it. Um... I mean, he's spot on. Everything he said was true. Um, It's just that Tyler couldn't hit shots, and he didn't hit shots at the same clip or nearly as at the same clip as he did last season, so it didn't look the same. But if you take a proper inventory of everything that Pat Riley said here, um, I mean, of course, besides the core player thing, because that's a him thing, he has to make that decision. Um, And we could be – and we'll talk about that later, but that could be smoke and mirrors also, but – Everything else that he said, um, he told the truth. I mean, Tyler had to get better as a ball handle. He had to get better on the ball. Um, We did try to force him into, you know, the role of being a point guard early in the season, which I don't think worked out because 
um, he was still new to it all. I think that with one more year, like with this offseason of development and coming back next year, he'll be even better in a lead guard role. Is he a point guard? I don't think so because his best ability is his ability to score the ball, and that's probably always going to be his first look. But can he become better as a lead ball handler, as an on-ball scorer who's capable of getting his teammates involved? Absolutely. And as Pat alluded to, the increased ability to be able to handle the ball with both hands will only help him do that. I'm the tie ball around that. Again, bro, it was just that the shots didn't fall. But from a perspective of did he get better in the areas where Pat said he got better at, of course he did. And I think it was Spo who said during the season that, I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm pretty sure I, I remember him saying this. He said that, listen, the man the man is working. He He's putting in the work. It's just that the shots are not falling. Sometimes it's just as simple as that. The shots do not fall. Plain and simple. I mean, and that's kind of what happened to the Heat as a whole this year. I mean, there was literally, I mean, let's just be frank. There was almost no difference between this year and last year, except that we had a bunch of injuries, the coronavirus situation, and then the shots went fall. That was it. Yeah. And I'll agree with, with Pat Riley on the fact that that Tyler's improvement on the ball handling department really is key for him. As I as he said, I agree with you on the point that I don't see him as a point guard, but can he be a lead guard maybe off the bench? Maybe that's just his role, Manu Ginobili type that just comes off the bench and handles the rock alongside the second unit and just becomes a super bench player. Uh, maybe I could see that in Tyler Hero's future. I mean, you touched on it, bro. Whether you're talking about, um, as you mentioned, Manu, whether you look at Lou Will and, you know, all three different players, but um, whether you're talking Manu, Lou Will, Tyler, neither of these guys are point guards. They're scoring guards. They're guys who can flat out score the ball, but because of their ability to score the ball, you want them to be able to get their teammates involved, not only because it helps your team as a whole, because they're capable of going to get their own, them being able to help their teammates get a shot um, would inevitably, of course, help the teammates. But then it all comes back to you. Like if you're able to make a play for somebody else, then the defense has to defend you being able to make a play for somebody else, which inevitably makes your ability to score that much stronger and that much easier because now you're multiple they don't think that you're coming down to create for yourself all the time. They have to be on edge. They have to be on their heels. The rest of the team has to be aware of what you're doing. And when you, the more guys that you can manipulate in sports, um, especially basketball, because you're talking five on five, not as many people to cover up your errors as there are in, say, soccer, football, or baseball. But um, when you're talking a person that can manipulate the whole defense, then you won. Because that's what the name of the game is. That's what Luka Donis does. Luka Donis manipulates the defense to the point where he gets the matchup that he wants. And if he can't get the matchup that he wants, he's already put the defense where he wants him to be so he can take the matchup that he gets and do what he wants, get the shot that he wants. Yeah. I right, with you there. Obviously, you know, we're comparing. You know, we mentioned Lou Will and Manu Ginobili. Those are two of the, possibly two of the greatest six men who have ever played. So that Right, be but it. you... But and, and I and I understand why you did that, but I did that because when you're looking at the potential of Tyler, you're talking about another guy who has starter level talent and ability and probably should be a starter, but you could really see the heat using him as that super six man, which is essentially just a six starter, which is what Manu was and what Lou Will has been for most of his career. Exactly. And I could see it for him and maybe just, you know, maybe the Spurs did this sometimes. They kept Manu on the bench throughout the regular season, and for certain matchups in the playoffs, they started him. Maybe we could see that in Tyler Hero's future, too. As I, for, I forgot our own guy. You could also throw Goran Dragic exactly. out there, who did exactly what you just said. Yeah, it's exactly. We could follow the, the Goran path with him. Although Goran was a high-level starter for a couple of years there, he was actually an all-star. I'm not saying that Tyler could not, but, you know, it's a, it's a different trajectory compared to the names that we have mentioned in Manu and Lou Will. I personally am really excited to see what Tyler does with, does with his second full offseason because he had a full offseason when, when he was a rookie. But, you know, this is his first 
full off season after. I was about to say, yeah, NBA season. Is the rookie year really a full off season? You kind of get drafted midway through the off season. Oh, then you have to go true. through the rookie situations, and you know yeah. you're the you world man league. of being a pro, right? All of that jazz. So I would say this is probably his first real full off season. Um, obviously, and, obviously, I don't expect ahead. him to go to the summer league this this season. I would be extremely surprised. I don't think he will, but I don't know, man. Because you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. When you've had the year that a lot of guys have for the Miami Heat, and of course everybody isn't qualified to go to the summer league, and I don't know if he's even qualified being a third year guy. But when you had a year like they had, where it was simply about not being able to get the shots to fall, that's what you need. You need to get him somewhere where he can see shots fall against quality competition. Because as we know about Tyler, irrational confidence is pretty much his middle name. So it's not a confidence thing as much as putting him back in the rhythm, putting him in a position, giving him the feel of hitting big shots again, because um, as Pat alluded to, he sees him as a core player, which again, I want to make sure that I let you know that I know who we're talking about. Pat Riley, that could be smoke and mirrors. He could a hundred percent mean that, or he could a hundred percent be saying that to keep Tyler's value up or to further boost his value up to move him. Who knows? I mean, you could say that and, I'm sure he won't hesitate to trade him tomorrow if a better player comes along. Absolutely. And that's why I had to make sure that we were all fully clear and aware that we're talking about Pat Riley. But, I mean, you just want the guy, you know, to see some shots go down because if he's a core player, as Pat said, then you're dependent on him and you need him to get back right, for lack of better terms. Yeah. I think I think that's the name of the game right now. And, you know, enough about Tyler Hero. Now let's go to another. Enough about Tyler Hero? We can never do enough Tyler Hero. He's a baby goat. No, I'm joking. I got you, boss. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Jack Harlow got us enough Tyler Hero for, for a bit there. Anyway, to Pat touching a couple of points in the press conference, and I, I we're going to leave the best one for last. I know, I think Kenneth knows what I, what I mean. But let's touch on this one for I I think that the last one is the it's the best one, but you'll see which one I'm talking about. Now let's talk about the other things that he touched on the press conference. The impending free agency of Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson. I quote, both of those players have performed at a very high level and they've really helped us. Kendrick can probe the defense, he can get to the basket, he can race on threes, he can race on floaters, on runners, he's a hell of an offensive player. Duncan could, could, be, could be considered the top shooter in the NBA. So I applaud both of those guys for coming in with just very little reputation, no guarantees, and winning their jobs, winning their spots, and winning their time. They've had their ups and downs, but young players will. But we like both of them, and we'll see what happens with them when it comes to the market. Now, Kenneth, reactions? Um. Well, there was a report before we were officially out of the playoffs that um, Kendrick Nunn could receive offers up to $15 million a year. And I want to tell you exactly who said that so that you know that I'm not joshing you here. And I actually covered that on All You Can Heat. Um, and basically what I said about that was at $15 million per, let's just be honest, Kendrick's gone. He, he's oh, gone. Yeah. I mean, he, we, I mean, we, we can't afford it. that. Right. We can't afford to match um, the $15 million per. Um, is Kendrick worth $15 million? Depends how you view him. I was about I, to say, yeah, that's that's a tough question, man. That's a tough question. I, I personally, I would, I don't, I wouldn't pay him 15 per season. I mean, and that's the thing, man. It's like if if you have this the right things in place, if you have a if you have a point guard, a real point guard who runs your team, and you need offensive punch, and your offensive punch away from being a contender, then you pay you pay a premium for what you need. Because in real life, he's a ten to thirteen million dollar guy. Let's just be honest. He's a ten to thirteen nine on the bottom end, but thirteen at the high end. However. You pay a premium for those things that you need. So if there's a team that just says, hey, I need a guy that can come in and get me buckets. I don't care what else he does. 
I don't care how he does it. I just need a guy that can come in and score the ball. Then you give Kendrick another $15 million a year because if you give him the shots, Kendrick's going to score the ball. Um, I nicknamed him, quote, the cool, close quote, throughout the season because no matter what's going on with Kendrick, um, you can never see it. He's definitely unflappable. And, again, he can score the rock. He just doesn't do enough else for me to give him the $15 million. And by the way, that report was from John Hollinger of the Athletic Hollinger. Hollinger? I think it's Hollinger. Um, Hollinger of the Athletic. Yeah, Hollinger of the Athletic. Um, well, he says. We got to go be ahead. careful with Hollinger's evaluations because he's the same guy that suggested that Hassan Whiteside could get a, a fat contract last summer, which we all know that. That's absolutely. Not. Oh, no, absolutely. But, I, I, and I'm also going to. I'm, I'm, I'm also going to level with you here. That wasn't a far-fetched prediction because, to be honest with you, when you look at Hassan's numbers for the Blazers, they were crazy. And guys get paid off of numbers. Now, for if most people – actually watched him. Right. For most people, they saw those numbers as empty numbers because he got those numbers, but he wasn't, he wasn't effective or he wasn't impactful. Or the time he was on the floor, the – other metrics actually say the Blazers were a worse team. But from a counting numbers perspective, Hassan's numbers in that year with Portland were crazy. So while, you know, looking at an impact on the game, Ollinger does seem a bit far-fetched or did seem a bit far-fetched with that perspective. But when you looked at Hassan's numbers and how people value rim protection, it didn't really seem that crazy. Now, to tie, you like to come back to that and tie ball around Hassan Whiteside because I don't want to talk about him anymore. Um, he's probably going to get a decent deal this offseason. I hate to say it, but um, yeah, to go back to the Kendrick Nunn thing, it, it's uh, you can't pay him fifteen. He doesn't do enough for your team, and somebody's going to give it to him. So as I said, man, at fifteen million dollars a year, he's gone. He's out I of think, here. And I think we have other glaring issues that we need to address before we throw the bag at Kendrick Nunn. I would actually prioritize bringing back Duncan because he's more he's more integral to what we do on offense with the I, with the off the ball movement and I think that I think Duncan that, is more consistent. What Duncan does, you can pencil that in. Whereas Kendrick has nights where the jump shot isn't working, so then he goes from a twenty two point a game night, twenty two points a night guy to like a fourteen or fifteen point, and those seven points might make the difference every night. And as you mentioned in one of the earlier pods, consistency in the in playing time is the key with Kendrick. Because sometimes I'll we have to admit that Spo sometimes was a bit inconsistent with his playing time when it when Victor Oladipo was acquired. He you know, it's it's tough for a guy to suddenly to have been a starter and then to being pulled back to the bench and then having to go back out there and just expect like nothing happened. The COVID situation last season, and the you know the family stuff. I know that Kendrick's been through quite some stuff these last two seasons. So, whoever gets him, or if he comes back, we all know if he comes back at a reasonable price, I would welcome him with open arms. But I feel like the biggest flight risk of those two is Kendrick Nunn, because some team I've seen a lot of Nick speculation on the Twitter timeline lately. And I, I, I don't remember who it was, but I, I think I, I read that there were some rumors that the Knicks might target him. Given that Derek, I think Derek Rose is a free agent this summer. He definitely and, a free agent. Um, and, and you kind of segued into my next point, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. And I think Frank Nilakina. I can't pronounce N- his name. Nilakina. Nilakina. I think that guy's New York time in New York is probably done. He was oh, in the run. Yeah. So, but see, Nilakina is a point guard and he's a defender. Same thing with Alfred Payton. So it's like you think that the Knicks would bring one of those guys back because even if you're looking to bring Kendrick Nunn in, Kendrick Nunn isn't a defender. I mean, he tries like hell, but he isn't a defender. And Drew Holiday showed you that. Drew Holiday just manhandled him. Now Drew Holiday is bigger and more, and more physical well, than most point hey, guards. But Kendrick Kendrick Nunn is a small dude, and right. Drew Holiday is a mountain of a man. He is, but even outside of being out-muscled and out-physical by Drew Holiday, um, the same offensive instincts and offensive cool you see from Kendrick 
it's the total opposite on defense. It's like when he goes to read the play, he overreacts or he makes the brass decision, and that oftentimes gets him beat. But to to go back to what you said, um, that kind of explains why he deserves the money and why I call him the cool. Because throughout his tenure in Miami thus far, K-9 is kind of, I hate to say this because, you know, I agree with everything Spo has done. And Spo did it to Kendrick Nunn because he felt Kendrick Nunn was strong enough. But Kendrick Nunn has kind of been done unfairly. Whenever there was a tinker or, you know, a switch up in the lineup, oftentimes he was the odd man out. Now, again, that goes back to Spo knowing his personnel and that he knew Kendrick was likely the one who could be put in that situation, put back into a situation where he was a main guy and it didn't impact him. Because I'll be honest with you, and if you look at the trade deadline noise with uh, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and how it impacted their performance, that pretty much tells the story there. Kendrick was the one that was mentally strong enough to be taken out of the rotation, put back into the rotation, and still perform up to his given ability. Um, Now, to touch on the Knicks situation real quick, by all means, let's get it done. Sign and trade. You can get K-Nun, just give us Derrick Rose. <laughs> that would be something. I I wouldn't be opposed to Derrick Rose coming to Miami. But yeah, the guard situation is going to be interesting how they address it. Because A, we need a point of attack defender in the backcourt. Victor Oladipo was supposed to be that guy. I don't know if he's even coming back to Miami, that, you know, we at least have the benefit of having a first-hand look at his medical report that no other team has that advantage. So we know if we can throw some money at him or not. Now, I think maybe with the Derrick Rose thing, I maybe not, I not, I may not be opposed, but he wouldn't necessarily be my first choice at, because, you know, I, I guess I'll have to see how Goran responds if it was just regression, if it was the foot that was still bothering him, or it was just him being tired after such a long season and short offseason last season. If, I, I said the word season there about four times. but Only four. I, I mean, I, I wasn't going <laughs> to say anything, but I'm glad you brought it up. I mean. But you know what I mean. I, I guess that all depends because we're going to run another four-guard rotation because there are other issues to be addressed, particularly in the front court. The, Absolutely. Uh, but, be- but before we get too far off there, let me, um, let me touch on something real quick. You mentioned Goran, and I, I have to touch on that in that if you look towards the end of the season and then entering the playoffs, Gorn was Gorn. I don't think he regressed as much as that foot situation. It set him back to begin with. And then as he started to find it, his offensive rhythm wasn't the same. But to close the season, you saw all of that coming back. And I mean, it wasn't just at the, you know, onset of the playoffs as him and Duncan were the only things going in game one, but for like the last 10 to 15 games of the season, you saw that Goran still had it. Um, And then when you look at the rest of the playoff series, nobody could hit shots. So you can't really knock him for that because again, in game one, had it not been for him and Duncan, then we don't even, you know, we don't even make that a game. So I disagree when, you know, you question Gorn. I say that with the volatility of last season and the way it impacted everybody, that was just how it impacted him. But also to that point, even when Gorn's on the floor, he could benefit from being beside an actual point guard. So if you were to bring in a D-Rose or, you know, lo and behold, I'll just go ahead and put this out there because I know we're going to talk it at some point, maybe not this episode, but soon. You bring in a D Rose or Cal Laurie, and you put Goran on the court beside them sometimes. Oh, I've been before. Let me stop you. I've been on the Cal Lowry train oh, since the trade deadline. I think he will be a great fit here. 
I'm not opposed to it, man, but the numbers have to be right. The figures have to be right. But again, that's something we'll probably talk about later or in a future podcast. Let's not step on our toes. Yeah. So going back to now our friend Duncan Robinson, we touched on it. Um, we, touched, we touched on the Duncan Robinson topic a bit last episode, uh, but it was more about the price that we're willing to pay for him to stay. Now, of the teams with cap with cap space, who do you think will be the biggest threat to take Go- Duncan, excuse me, and just offer him a an amount of money that the Heat just simply don't feel comfortable matching? Is it the Knicks again? I don't I don't think he actually fits the Knicks with his playing style because the Knicks need more more self creation than anything in the in the backcourt. That was something that D. Rose provided them with. But, you know, maybe he's coming back. He has a strong relationship with Tom Thibodeau, Derrick Rose, I mean. But I don't see the Knicks as a threat for Duncan Robinson. Now, other teams, which other team do you think could actually pose the biggest risk for the Miami Heat to lose Duncan Robinson in free agency? <clears throat> That's a good question, boss. That's a good question. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. My number one concern is when the Lakers come call them. Hmm, that would, that, maybe That's my number one concern. An MLE or maybe offer a sign and trade? Here's the thing, man. They offered Schroeder 91 and he turned it down. And I know you can spend more to bring back your own, but I'm sure they can finagle some things and tinker with some gears and get Duncan the money that he thinks he wants. But at the end of the day, here's what I'll say. When the team that beat you in the finals is also the team that has LeBron James, also the team that has Anthony Davis banged up, fragile, street clothes or not, shout out to Charles Barkley. Um, You listen. And the team that has LeBron James always has a chance to win the title. You know you're not going to get doubled. You know they can't show you as much attention as they've shown you in Miami because you have to double either LeBron James or Anthony Davis or the both of them. Um, and it's L.A., bro. It's the Lakers. It's L.A. I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, that name, that city, the purple and gold, the Staples Center, the the aura that comes with being a Laker, with winning as a Laker, it, it, let's just be frank. It's just... It, it's pretty damn tempting. So that would be my biggest fear is, 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 is when the Lakers come calling. Other than that, I don't think anybody else has a chance because I think that the bond he's established. And again, he said fit was most important, which automatically makes Miami the top choice because our whole system is or has been or is geared towards what Duncan does because Duncan's gravity has allowed us to do what we've done over the last two years. I mean, think about it. Bam Adebayo mainly operates in the paint, and so does Jimmy Butler. Well, the reason that they both on the floor simultaneously doing what they do together have enough room to operate in said paint is because two or three guys always have to be focused on Duncan. One guy always has to be stuck to him, and there always has to be another guy in a position able to rotate or get out to him if that other guy can't get around an inch of space, which is the inch of space created by a dribble handoff or a screen, which is also all Duncan needs to get his shot off. Yeah, and playing you know, playing with one of the greatest playmakers of all time sure has to be enticing for Duncan. You see what I'm go, saying? You see what I'm saying? a lot of wide-open looks. It's, it's a lot of that. I mean, not only is he the greatest playmaker, of, one of the greatest playmakers of all time, but Anthony Davis is probably one of the best passing bigs we've ever seen. And not to mention that, as I said, one of those guys, minimally, one of them at all times is going to be double-teamed. Yeah. That, that, you can only guard five guys. So if one of those guys are double teamed, then you got three other guys to guard four other people. Now you also got LeBron James on the court. Let's not forget yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, it's kind of, you know, it's it's tough, man. But again, he said fit was most important. And if fit is most important, then we're gonna be the best fit. Because not only did we develop him, we developed the offense that he knows he likes to run. So we automatically have a leg up. Again, like I said, everything I've said over the past five minutes, the aura of being in that city, Tinseltown. 
That I mean, scares me. Miami, it's not a bad place to live. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not. I'll give you that. But Miami don't have the stars. Miami don't have the cachet, so to speak, of living in L.A. And Miami is probably, hmm, I mean, if you want to go Clippers as a market in itself, even though that's the same L.A. market, but because they're a different team, L.A.'s, I mean, Miami's a top four market. Like oh, as yeah, far as course. places to live, places to want to be, places to, to, to work, to play your professional sports, to be a celebrity in that city, the nightlife, the daylife, whatever, whatever. It, it has to be a top four. Okay, I'll be generous. It's a top five market. Um, but L.A., if you had to pick one market that was likely higher than Miami, what market would you say that was, J.J.? Well, probably L.A. I'll give you that. that. That's it. You know what I mean? And again, I know I've beaten it like a drum and it's a dead horse as of the last 10 minutes, but LA scares the hell out of me when it comes to Duncan because they'll be able to get the room. They need shooting. And some of the guys that they thought would be in their future, a la Schroeder, a la Kuzma. I don't know if those guys are still in their plans. And, you know, touching on the shooter point, Maybe he could be a good target for us. I thought about that, man, but what he did in the playoffs, that, that put a bad taste in my mouth. And if he turned down $91 million with them, how much do you think he's going to want from us? Well, let the open market decide because he's not going to get that money from anybody else. Now that's, that decision in retrospect seems ill-advised. Oh, yeah, Turning stupid. It. Terribly stupid. Terribly stupid. And you know why he turned $91 million down for $9 Because he wanted 100 He was getting 4 at 100, I think well, it was, yeah. Well, I thought the deal was 91, but he turned it down because he wanted an even 100. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. He wanted, oh, okay. he wanted Just 100. Just making sure we're on the same page. He wanted 100 over four years. That's a lot. <laughs> well, here's my thing, though, man. Look, I understand. I'm not I'll in re- nobody's pocket. I'm not trying to count nobody's money, not even his. But listen, man, when you're in L.A., when you're winning titles, when you have a chance to – well, when you have a chance to win titles. Sorry, he wasn't on the team last year. Um, and when you have a chance to make just as much money outside of the game as you do on the floor because of where you are, because of your potential to win, because of the eyes that see you every day, you take $91 million. $91 million is a hundred when you're playing with the Lakers and when you have that opportunity to make that up outside of basketball because you're playing with the Lakers. I mean, what better example than Kyle Kuzma having a shoe deal with Puma? Even though if Kyle Kuzma plays... Is it Puma? Because I thought last I checked, I knew he had a deal with one of those after-seller markets, either GOAT or StockX. No, Um, he he does have a deal with Puma. So he ended up just going with one company? Okay. But I mean, even that though, man, whether it's GOAT, StockX, or Puma... You hit on it. I mean, it's the market, bro. It's the market. It's literally the L.A. market. Yeah, I mean, if Kyle Kuzma, you know, Kyle Kuzma is a serviceable player. I have nothing against him. But if he played, let's say, for the Minnesota Timberwolves, he would have received nowhere near the hype that he receives. But, you know, he plays for the Lakers. Heck no. But I would say this. If he played for the Minnesota Timberwolves, he'd likely be a better player. Oh, now that's I think that. Yeah, I think that there's two things to that. I think the distraction that is L.A., um, he loves that lifestyle, which is a good thing for him, great thing for him. Might not be the best thing for the Lakers, though, because he loves that lifestyle so much. But also the pressure and the magnifying glass that comes with playing for the Lakers, um, you know, it, it, it isn't the best for everybody. And I also offer this. Kuzma played much better ball before LeBron and AD got there. So I said that to say if he was on a team where he could be himself and wasn't worried about somebody chewing him out, um, and not that that's right or wrong, because when you're LeBron, you definitely earn the right to chew guys out when they don't perform up to expectations. But if he were playing in Minnesota where he would get 15, 20 shots a game, Kuzma would be a 20.7 rebound, three-dime guy minimally. With good defense because he's actually a good wing defender. Oh, no, definitely, definitely. And, it's, I mean, he's big, bro. I'd take him at the right price. He could play for Miami at the right price, 100%. Oh, I would absolutely take him. <laughs> absolutely. Put him no. beside Bam. Put him beside Bam. Speaking of Bam, 
Come on, Let's man. I know the... what I'm doing, JJ. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Let's get to the juice. I think this was the juiciest quote from the presser. I, at least personally, I found it to be that way. Pat Riley on Bam Adebayo. I quote, if he improves this year as much as, he's ha- as he has over the last four years, then you're going to get a better player next year. I think Eric Spolstra has to evaluate a bit how he uses Bam. I think I'm going to consider it. Unquote. I'm going to consider that a little bit when we finish this. Back to the quote. Bam is one of our primary ball handlers and gets us into offense. And sometimes there is a disconnect between running offense and really being an effective as an offensive player. So I think all of those things will be worked out. But I do know that we have one of the highest character, toughest guys in the league that really has a lot of talent. He still has a lot of upside. And I wouldn't let what happened against Milwaukee deter him in any way, shape, or form as far as what I think Bam can bring. I want to... I want to repeat that part. I think Eric Spolster has to evaluate a little bit how he uses Bam. That, I know you feel, I think you feel very passionate about that. So you, the floor is yours, Kenneth. That was Pat Riley doing his best Pat Riley. Um, just to be frank, and I covered this on All You Can Heat as well, and this was the headline basically. Pat Riley, Jedi mind trick, the media, the public, and most importantly, Bam Adebayo. That message wasn't for Eric Spolstra. Him and Eric Spolstra disagree on things, but he doesn't step on toes, so I understand that. But that message was for Bam Adebayo. I don't give a damn what position Spo puts Bam in. If Bam isn't going to take the shot, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a hill of beans if he's not going to take the shot. Are you telling me that Spo putting Bam in a better position would have forced him to take the shot when he had a canal of space, Brooke Lopez in the rim. When is Bam in a pretty much practical ISO situation where it's literally a gap of space from the top of the free throw line, down the paint, to the rim, and there's nobody but Brooke Lopez in front of him? Are you telling me that Spo putting Bam in a better position will help that? That's not for Spo, that's for Bam. That's Pat telling Bam, hey, look, Spoh's going to put you in a different set of positions next year. And when he puts you in those positions, you need to be ready to convert. I know Spo will know what I'm doing. I know Spo is mentally tough enough to take this. I know I can say this publicly about Spo as a conduit to you, and he'll get the message. I can't say that directly to you because even though I know you're one of the most toughest guys on the court. Sorry, I know you're one of the most tough. Didn't mean to go all elementary school on you. I know you're one of the most rough and tumble guys on the court, but sometimes I feel as though you get inside your own head. So I'm not going to say this directly to you, but what I'll do is I'll say it about Spo. I'll say it to Spo, but I know you're going to hear it, and I know Spo knows what I'm doing. That message wasn't for Spo. That message was for Bam, Idris, Femi, Adebayo. I think that's I couldn't have said it better myself. Bam, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Bam. And you know, listen, some some of the takes are, are getting ridiculous. I've seen people, you know, with all the Damian Lillard stuff, I've seen people say that they will be willing to let go Bam and stuff. And, you know, that's a discussion for another day, the Damian Lillard situation, whatever. But... Quick I think hard about it, but I, I could not anybody. I know it's a deep discussion for another day, which we'll do. But I mean, just to kind of touch on it, I think really hard about it because it's Dame Lillard. Um, and I don't know if I could be mad if they pulled the a trigger. But me personally, no, hell no, I wouldn't. Because what Bam has the potential to be on offense is only maybe about half or three quarters of what Dame Lillard is. But what he is everywhere else and on defense is 400 percent of what Dame Lillard is. And that wins championships. Didn't mean to go on a tangent, JJ. You know, you no, hit a nerve. I was though. I was just going to I was just going to go in a quick 30 seconds that I, I too, would hesitate. Do you to, do you give it? Go ahead. Hot I, too would, carry. I, too, would hesitate to trade Bam to Dame, for Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is an all. It's an all-time scoring talent at the point guard position. Hell of a player. But first of, first of all, I don't think he ends up getting traded this offseason. The, the, do the Blazers have a lot of stuff to do with the roster? Hell yeah. They First off, they need to get a new coach. And that new coach has to implement 
either a new a new offensive system that doesn't rely as much on on Damian Lillard. There's the CJ McCollum situation, which I know CJ McCollum is probably the most popular trade <laughs> trade the, the most popular guy getting traded around talk shows and oh yeah he's been traded 37 times since they were eliminated i mean minimally 37 oh i think that's a low number but you know and you know not even now throughout the years everybody's been banging this drum dave and cj won't win anything i guess they those people probably feel vindicated right now but you know going going i think we should leave this to our friends over at blazing the path park who are part of the hoop heads podcast network but we can touch on a little bit on this. We, let's put our GM hats here for, for a bit. I know this is a Heat podcast, but, you know, we're also NBA fans as well. We know Absolutely. what's going on. And that may be an idea for the future. We may have to sync up with our friends over there and talk this whole CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard, Bam situation, because there may be a lot more to pull out of that. But that's an idea for the future. So Hoop Heads Network fans out there, keep your eyes peeled. It may be a dual podcast coming at you soon. Hey. That's a, there's a little bit of there's there you go that might be you know stay tuned. But wrapping up quickly on the CJ McCollum Portland Trailblazers thing, uh, I guess I'll have to eventually end up ag- agreeing with the people who who are on the C- trade CJ train because right major changes are needed on that team. Damian Lillard has three years left on his deal. However, after Next season, he's eligible for an extension, which with him being having only two years left after next season, and that's I think the cl- the clock starts ticking as soon as the ball tips off for the 2021-2022 Blazers season. The clock starts ticking there because then the real pr- the, there's a real possibility of Dame either at uh, asking out and uh, the last few stars that we have seen ask out have gotten really ugly and i think i would hate for it to get ugly over there in portland with a player so beloved by his fan base as damian lillard is absolutely man and here's my thing on that i kind of disagree with you a little bit i agree with you at the end of the day but i think i disagree with you on execution um the ball is totally in dame lillard's court Nobody has a great package to offer Portland. Like, nobody would be able to concoct some massive blockbuster lottery, you know, home run of a deal for Portland. You know, every, the only, you know, the only, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but. No, no, you're good. I, I, it meant, it came very quickly. The only team, again, the same as the Harden situation, that comes up, that has a semblance of a, of a package that can, provide some maybe equal well not equal but at least an approximately decent amount of value for Damian Lillard are the Sixers and that obviously involves Ben Simmons not right all but on, you're sending but you're sending Ben Simmons and what probably Matisse Steibel and a couple of picks you gotta you you're gonna have to come with more than that of course you can you have to come with more than that right but the start, and Philly, that's the starting but if, that's the starting asking price no, absolutely. But if Philly sends anything more than that, they're then shooting themselves in the foot. Because not only are they taking their top two defenders, um, two of the best defenders in the league, might I add, but you're also taking one of their offensive threats. Ben Simmons doesn't shoot a jump shot. However, he can get to the lane anytime he wants to, and he creates offense for everybody else. I think that if you're Philly, you're trading one problem for another there because, yeah, you get a lot better offensively, but you already, you know what I mean, play an up-tempo style. So if you bring Damon, that's 10 more points minimally you're giving up a game, and then you play an up-tempo style, so you're probably asking for more like 15 to 20 more points per game simply because of the deficiency or the drop-offs in defense that you get from Ben and, and Matisse Thibel. I mean, it's a catch-22, and I don't know – if Doc Rivers wants to do that. Because Doc, a lot of people fail to realize, is a defensive coach. So Doc has actually not only been on the Ben Simmons train, but I actually believe Doc because everything else we know about Doc Rivers, he's a defensive guy. And, I mean, as much as I hate to say it about Philly, kind of went in my mouth a little bit there, um, 
gag reflexes kicking in. Ben huh. Simmons is likely a top three defender in the league. Yeah, I think. You I mean, know as that. much as that's I hate a, to admit it, he's, he's likely. A, that's not a popular take among Heat fans, but I think. I'll agree. No, it's not. But it, it it's the truth, man. It's the truth. And I hate to admit it. You know, again, you just said it. As a Heat fan, everything in me is fighting against what I just said. Like, my face is literally reaching from my mouth. Like, what's going on with you? But, um, yeah, man, the guy's a top three defender. You can't deny that. You're talking 6'10". You're talking the mobility of a point guard. You're talking tenacious. You're talking strength. You're talking not scared of anything. You're talking will stick his face in the fray. Can't hit a jump shot, but he'll defend the hell out of you. Now, as a defender, I think I'll agree with you on that point. Now, as a player, I'll take our two guys. Even our... A hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. All day long. I'll take Bam and Jimmy over Ben every day because they don't... They don't... What's the word I'm looking for? Sometimes Jimmy gets in his own head, too, but they don't continuously hurt you as much as Ben does. If Ben is in his own head... He'll go three games and won't even take a jumper. And, yeah, you, you think to yourself, well, maybe he's not taking it because he feels that's best for the team. He knows he's going to miss it, whatever, whatever. But at a certain point, you have to take it to keep the defense honest. And I point to Jimmy Butler with that. If you'll notice coming down the stretch of the season, um, even though he shot 24% from three, and mind you, um, he shot 24% both years he's been in Miami on right at two attempts. So that's poor, horrible, awful, terrible but he's taking them because he has to take them in order for his other stuff to work. So that would be the main difference between our two guys and Ben Simmons. And that's why I would take them because it doesn't continuously hurt you as much as Ben Simmons does. Exactly. I think that's, I couldn't have said it better myself again. Now we'll leave the Damian Lillard stuff for another day to close, to close the pot. I want to, you know, I want to touch on the Bam at a bio thing a bit. I'm excited to see how he comes out of this long offseason because we went from having the shortest offseason, the second shortest offseason in NBA history, to a very long offseason. We were the first team eliminated and we were run out of the gym all four games. We didn't, we didn't even get an extra game. Do you got to keep saying that, JJ? I mean, must you keep reminding me? Is that is that what you came on here to do today? You came on it's here to make me It's the reality of the situation, Kenneth. It's the reality. Uh. <laughs> but here's the thing. We have to take a positive out of the negative. We have to find the light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is the long offseason that our guys are going to have, the rest, the development, the, improve, the continuous development of Bam Adebayo, Teller Hero, and even Precious Achua. That's what, that's what's got me most excited this off season because we've seen Bam improve tremendously um, across his four years in the league. He's an incredible talent that we have. I think sometimes Heat fans take for granted the improvements that yeah that young man has has made. Sure, he didn't make an, an All Star team, or he's probably not going to make an All NBA team, but the improvements are there. He came in as a raw athlete, and right now he's one of the most skilled big men that we have in the league. Oh, and only looking to improve even further. He's 23 years old. He has a semblance of a perimeter jump shot. I mean, mind you, across the mid-range area. But still, that's more than Ben Simmons can say. He's willing to take them. He can make, and he can make them. So I'm excited to see what new personnel comes in. And on the team, I should say the roster. Next season and see how much we can enhance Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler's abilities, but particularly Bam. And I think that's key, man. I think you just said it. Um, Bam can do anything and everything he wants to do on the court. For me, personally, and for Pat, it seems like Bam has to realize that he can do anything and everything on the court. It's as simple as taking the shots, man. It's a make or miss league. You're not going to make all of the shots you take. But as a, one of our league guys, we need you to take the shots. Um, and I think that's Bam's next thing. He has to get comfortable missing 20 shots. Kobe said it best. 
Kobe could miss 80 shots in a row. But that doesn't mean he wasn't going to take 81 because that might be the one he make. Exactly. So I think that's a great way to wrap up the podcast with a quote from the late, great Kobe Bryant. So Always, always. Thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 305CulturePod. You can also follow us on TikTok at the same, the same username. Let's hope that the Heat, I, I, in Pat Riley we trust, let's hope that the Heat makes some the improvements that we would like to see to the roster and that Bam Adebayo continues his meteoric rise through NBA, the NBA ranks. Because I'm really excited to what he to see what he can do, and let's enjoy the NBA playoffs. These playoffs have been really good. That game seven last, last yesterday was fantastic. There's some discourse going around the the timeline of there. I've, I've seen already seen the jersey swaps of Luka Doncic and Christoph Porzingis on on a Heat jersey. I say, of course, welcome. of course, of course. <laughs> keep the keep the jersey edits coming, guys. That's Probably one of the best parts of being a Heat fan. They're all those jersey swaps. The, my favorite one, my personal favorite is the Jordan, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson in Heat in Heat jerseys. And Vice uniforms. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, love those. Gotta love those. I've seen so, one with Joel Embiid that I really like too. Oh, I've seen one with Tatum. Oh no, man. But I think the I think the. Yeah, my favorite one is the Larry Bird, Magic, and MJ. Can't ever go wrong with the legends. Can't ever go wrong with the legends. With with Heat jerseys because I think that's the that's the end game of these Heat jersey swap jokes. But anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 305 Culture Pod. Wear your mask, keep your distance, and watch the NBA. See you next week.